news and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show. Um, market experts predict further volatility as Fed rate hikes leave little room for soft landing. Uh, we're going to go over the history of this in a moment, but this is important information for everyone. Uh, headline, here's why America's biggest companies are fleeing blue states. Um I, t- I use the word policy quite a bit. I mean, it ties in with politics, but it's not overtly political. My political leanings are developed or have been developed over time in what works in my mind and what doesn't work for America. Um, uh, we all use the word fairness in different ways, but we also understand life isn't fair. We should be a land of opportunity, not a land of equal outcome. When you try to give people equal outcomes, when you use that word fair all the time, pay your fair share. Well, that's a, that's a pretty uh, – Pretty broad term when you say you pay your fair share. The pe- the wealthy in this country should pay their fair share. That there are a number of companies that effectively p- pay no income tax. Now, you can do the math on that. We can call that true. Maybe it is true. Our tax system has gotten so convoluted over the years. Have you seen the tax laws in America? I've mentioned this many times. Um, I don't own a lot of things. I own a home. I have a car, I have a motorcycle, and that's about it. You know, I ha- I, in- I invest, uh, you know, in money trying to for retirement. You know, I'm not big accounts. I have a 401k and a- another account or two that I'm um, I'm trying to save for retirement. But I don't have a complicated life when it comes to finances. I don't, and um, I pay someone to do my taxes. Because there are so many rules and regulations, and everybody out there should pay as little as possible. I don't think that that's a, that's not an unpatriotic thing to say. That if there are out if there are uh, deductions that are available to you, you should take them. That's why they are there. So if corporations are going out and legally finding a way to pay very little in taxes, I don't necessarily think that's right. But if you look at our tax laws, which have morphed and changed over decades and have gotten so convoluted and so complicated, why don't we simplify the tax code? And the answer to that question is because in the end, paying your fair share would fall a lot more on the working class, the lowest end of the economic spectrum. Because they effectively pay no income taxes. And so we all say everybody should. We say, well, it gets taken out of my check. And then you get it back and sometimes even more than you put in at the end of the year. So if we were to simplify our tax code, which I don't believe will ever happen, it's a pie in the sky idea of whatever you make, you pay that standard percentage that everybody pays. It's like a sales tax. Sales taxes are fair because everybody pays the same percentage. If you go out and buy a car that costs $10,000 and someone else buys a car because they can afford it that costs $60,000, you are each going to pay the same percentage in taxes on that purchase. That's a fair tax. If we had an, a sales tax system that slid according to income, that would be what our income tax is like. Not only would you pay more money because you're buying higher end items, you would pay a higher percentage of taxes because you're in a higher income bracket. That's not fair, and that's what we do. So when we start complaining about businesses doing that, so what we're seeing is in st- blue states, the policies of blue states have become oppressive in their taxation with businesses. Cal- 
California. California is a beautiful state. I make fun of California just because it's an Arizona thing to do. Um, but if you've been to California, it's a beautiful state. And there's a lot of people that don't want to leave there. It's become financially, fiscally impossible for businesses to compete nationwide when they're paying the taxes that they are paying in the state of California. The state of New York, the mass exodus of millionaire, millionaires and billionaires out of the state of New York into the southeast like places like Florida where there's no income tax. The state of Florida is reaping huge benefits from that. They are still getting their money. States still get their money. They do it in a different way. Florida is in a unique position with all of its beaches and coastline that it has with Disney World and the tourist attractions that they have tourism. Pay for the large amount of taxes with bed tax and and um, you know uh, taxes on flights and rental cars and the things that they do in their tax base. That's where they get a lot of their money to pay for a lot of things. That's a unique situation. But Texas is a zero income tax state. Nevada is. Arizona's moved its way very close to zero. And when you do that, businesses see that and say that is a place where we can put down roots. And so we tax the things we want less of and we subsidize the things we want more of. So by lowering the tax rate, lowering taxes on business, which means we're taking less from them, not giving them anything, you're taking less from them. By doing that, what you've done is incentivize a business to locate or relocate to your area. And when you do that, the job market goes crazy like we've seen here, big wage increases over the last 10 years. You see all of those things happening because we've diversified our economy and big businesses coming here. I mentioned, um, and I and I know some of the people in the city of Mesa, uh, their business development manager, um, uh, people in the Chamber of Commerce. The city of Mesa has done what's called what I call intentional growth. You look at the industry that they have enticed into the city of Mesa, and as soon as it started to become a tech hub, and it started to become that area of the valley where big tech companies like um, you know uh, Apple and Facebook and other companies are going there. You start to see those high-tech jobs go there. Those jobs, on average, pay more money. And so then the homes you're building in the surrounding area are higher-end homes. Those people are paying higher property taxes. You know, all of this stuff feeds itself. That's intentional growth. Arizona as a whole has done the same thing. When it comes to the economy of the United States... If we are going to continue um, and listening to the class warfare argument of rich versus poor all the time, uh, it gets us nowhere. Uh, and for anybody out there that loves that, that argument, I, I very sincerely want you to tell me how your life has been improved by taxing a rich person. There's always the promise of improved lifestyle for people. It's always promised that we're going to make the poor better by taxing the rich. And who gets richer and who gets more powerful is the government. The arguments about student loans, which we're going to take up later today, the idea that somehow this isn't costing anything is absolutely absurd. To play the shell game of money is is so silly. What we're doing in this country by punishing successful people is taking away the chance of success for other people. When I started my business, um, it was me in a pickup truck and a box of tools. And when I wanted to grow, there was money available, I could get a loan at, an, at a reasonable rate to grow my company. Now, I did a lot of things wrong, like a lot of first-time business owners do, but the opportunity was there. 
how are young people today with the compliance issues that they have to face and the startup costs and the taxation and everything else that happens? How is a small business supposed to start up and flourish? How is somebody that wants to be an entrepreneur going to live those dreams? That's my concern. The government, none of us, none of us, you could be the complete opposite end of the political spectrum from me. None of us trust the government. But there's only one side that wants to embolden and empower the government with a lot more regulatory powers and more of our taxpayer money. If we don't trust the government, let's keep it as small as we possibly can, especially at the federal level. And when we need to take care of ourselves, let's take care of each other locally and in the states. That seems like a fair way to do things. Coming up in a moment, uh, an FBI agent accused of bias walked out of the building. We'll talk about that coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. A story that's been growing legs uh, in the last few weeks, and it's been around for quite a while, but it's actually starting to turn. And a lot of members of the media that whose reputations depend on them uh, being right um, are coming around and talking about the Hunter Biden laptop issue. Now, if you haven't really watched this story and I watched it, I didn't talk about it a whole lot because there was not much happening with it. Um, But when this story first came out that there was a laptop that belonged to the son of the president and it had very damning evidence on it of illegal behavior, illicit behavior, and in some cases influence peddling um, for their, you know, for the president, that he, when the president was the vice president of the United States and at other times that they, he was using the influence of his father's name to do business. And there was evidence of that on that laptop. Well, it was, um, denounced by the Biden administration at the time it was the Biden campaign and many other people that were kind of in on it let's say that said oh this is just Russian misinformation Uh, Mark Zuckerberg from Meta or Facebook Mark Zuckerberg was on a podcast and uh, Joe Rogan's podcast and admitted that the FBI had come to them and warned them against Russian misinformation that was out there saying that this laptop story fit the fit the bill or fit the criteria. Um, I don't know that they overtly said it was misinformation, but that's what they were alluding to. Be very careful for what you allow spread on your platform with all of this misinformation that's out there. Mark Zuckerberg came out and said, you know, I, he regrets it now. He doesn't know what percentage of the push down of influence it had with his algorithms, but it was significant. And so now it has been validated that it's real. Whether or not we're ever going to see criminal charges against Hunter Biden for some of the pictures and some of the stuff that he's done, uh, I don't know. Pictures naked with prostitutes, naked walking on the beach, naked with what looks like underage kids, smoking crack in a bathtub, all these things that look horrible. But there is some behavior of influence peddling with what was then the vice president of the United States. Whether it ever goes all the way up to the White House, I don't know the answer to that either. But the immediate concern is, was the FBI being used, or at least members? When I say the FBI, you can't say the entire agency. But were there people high up in the FBI that were a part of this influence peddling? 
This is what makes this story very, very interesting. So one of the high-ranking officials, the uh, assistant special agent in charge, Timothy, uh, I think it's pronounced Tybalt, um, is no longer with the Bureau. He is retiring over the weekend, and he was walked out of the building at the Washington field office. And, and now this is a significant thing that has happened. You're talking about the second-in-command was walked out of the building. They didn't fire him, but he's retiring this weekend. Um, He retired over the weekend, according to sources familiar with the matter. He was walked out of the building on Friday, which is a standard procedure per the source. Um, He was named by the Senate Judiciary Ranking Member Chuck Grassley in a July 18th letter to the FBI Director Christopher Wray and Attorney General Merrick Garland. Grassley cited whistleblowers who alleged a pattern of political bias from high-ranking officials, including this guy. According to Grassley and the whistleblowers and the DOJ and FBI employees must follow strict, substantial, factual predication guidelines to open an investigation, and Matt Tibble did not follow these guidelines. As you are aware, assistant special agent in charge is not the only politically biased FBI agent in the Washington field office. This is what Grassley wrote. He added the FBI answers to Congress and the American people. And you want to weaponize a law enforcement agency, this is what happens. So now Grassley and Johnson are calling for Facebook to turn over all communications with the FBI over the Hunter Biden story. Um, Yesterday, I told you a story. There was a a poll of about 1,300, a little over 1,300 voters in America, and uh, 79% of the people that answered this poll believed that that laptop story changed the election, that had they known the veracity of that laptop, 80%, 79% of voters said it would have changed the way they voted. So you want to talk stolen election, you want to talk all these, you know, 2,000 mules, all this other stuff. Why wouldn't you just talk about this part of it? It's so funny that Hillary Clinton still claims Russian collusion influenced the election away from her in 2016. No one's calling her a conspiracy theorist. As a matter of fact, people aren't even talking about it. She wrote a book about it. She wrote a book saying the election was stolen from her. She said recently, we don't know if we will ever know the truth about 2016. She's still saying it. Why wouldn't people look at this and say this cover up? The the people that were complicit in just uh, just saying that this didn't exist as reality, that this was Russian misinformation without doing investigations, without looking into it further and furthering the narrative that this was fake until after the election was over. What kind of accountability is there? There certainly is a lack of trust. If you look at what's happening, you've got major media companies across the country that are revamping their reputations. They're cleaning house. But at what cost? I'm not I'm not a gossipy person. I'm not somebody that wants to dig into someone's personal life. If I disagree with you on an issue, let's talk about the issue. If I disagree with you politically, let's talk about politics. I don't have to you know, I don't have to dig into your uh, your family photos or whatever to demean you. I mean, if that comes up and it's a relative issue, it's a relative issue. But in this case, what Hunter Biden was doing uh, in his personal life was deplorable. There's no doubt about that. It was disgusting. But if there is true influence peddling, if the emails that talk about the big guy, meaning Joe Biden, if there was influence there, the American people have a right to know because he is now president of the United States. And we all should be able to rest on that. And I can guarantee you this. Some of the very same people in the media 
that were saying that this was a fake news and that this shouldn't be reported and it's a family matter and we're not touching it. If this were Donald Trump Jr., would have been a whole different story. And there's no doubt about that. And there's got to be some accountability for people to be fair. And I don't think this has been close to fair. In a moment, uh, student loan forgiveness and the plan, who's paying for it? And are we ever going to get an answer to that? That's coming up here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here this morning. Uh, I'm going to make a comparison since we all love to do that. I'm one of them. Um, and I want you to hear a conversation between Martha McCallum and uh, a, a White House economic advisor, Jared Bernstein, as they talked over the administration's handling of debt forgiveness for student loans. Uh, this is, first of all, on its face. Let's make sure that we are um, comparing apples to apples. These loans um, were were not forgivable loans. These were loans given for an education that had to be paid back. The terms of that was known at the very beginning. Um, and by forgiving a debt, I, I've had somebody kind of play the Jesus card with me, which I don't ever mind having that conversation. But they tried to play the Jesus card, and we've we've seen it online. If you haven't, it's out there. Um, for all of you Christians out there, remember Jesus paid a debt for you um, that you couldn't pay. The difference is Jesus didn't put the debt on someone else. He took it. So if you want to get into a philosophical, theological conversation, I love that conversation because I am a Christian. And so, yeah, I do, in fact, believe that Jesus took the sins of the world on his shoulders and paid a penalty for them instead of us having to pay them. I believe that to be true. That's my religious foundation. Um, Jesus didn't take my sins away and throw them on somebody else's shoulders or another group of people's shoulders. Um, so if Joe Biden wants to forgive debt, and I'm in favor of this in, in, in private in the private world, if you're an organization that has a scholarship program, which is something I would love to be able to do, I would love to be able to, and I'm working on this behind the scenes, I would love to have a foundation that has a couple of different avenues. One of them would be to be able to give scholarships to people that want to go to trade schools as opposed to just a normal university. I think there's a, a, a hole there that could be filled very well for people that may go on to college later but are going to get a skill and a trade to help them pay for that. I would love to have a scholarship for first responders or their children that if a first responder wants to go back to college, if they have a degree and they want to get a master's degree to help them offset that cost. That's student loan forgiveness, but that's by my donation. That's by me saying to everybody out there, if you would like to give to this cause, I can promise you that we're going to vet the people that we're going to give scholarships to to maximize the value of that investment and try to offset the cost for these groups of people if they want to go on to higher learning, whether it's trade school or a college. Um, that is something that I personally think is a fantastic thing to do. What the President of the United States has done with a stroke of a pen is tell working class Americans that don't have student loan debt that you now with your tax dollars will pay this. The White House is trying to say, wait a minute, we are actually cutting the deficit so much that we're spending less money and the cost of this is going to get absorbed and all the money we're saving. It's an amazing shell game that they are playing. 
At the foundation, my biggest issue with this is no one should be forced to pay someone else's debt. If you want to, if you want to, there are many benevolent philanthropic people out there that have done just that. Um, We've seen this all the time. Very wealthy people. It's happened on a number of occasions where wealthy people will go into a school and tell a classroom full of eighth graders, listen, if you get your grades to this level, when you go to college, I'm going to pay for it. Your college will be paid for. Or go to a graduating class and say, hey, I'm going to pay off your student debt. I'm a billionaire, and I'm going to pay off your student debt so that all of you have a fresh start. And everybody cheers, and it is a very kind, benevolent thing to do. But for the President of the United States to say, we are going to shift the burden of this debt onto the American taxpayer. We are going to take the loan burden off of the shoulder of the people that created the debt by taking the loans. You don't have to have graduated college. There are no restrictions on this other than financial, where you are financially in life. That debt is forgiven from you and shifted on to the burden of others, which they haven't explained how it's going to be paid for. So just very quickly, Martha McCallum talking about this with this Bernstein. We've done uh, the arithmetic on this, and based on the numbers that you've heard coming out of this, uh, my colleague Bharat Ramamurti was very clear on how that number was derived, $24 billion per, re- per year for student debt forgiveness. And the point that Bharat made, which is entirely accurate, is if, that, if you compare that to the magnitudes of deficit reduction, uh, already $1.7 trillion, an historical record in terms of deficit reduction this year, fiscal 22, by the way, Go back to uh, fiscal 21. That's 350 billion. Uh, so he is uh, uh, absolutely correct. So that is the math that they are now throwing out there. They are not saying where it's going to. They're not saying that whether or not they're going to have to raise taxes to pay for it. They won't answer that question. And they're saying we have reduced the deficit. Well, we know the shell game of how math is done. Um, we still have huge, huge debts in this country. And we are not – our government is not running on a surplus. Our, ba- our budgets are not balanced. And th- the excuse and now the math they're trying to get to is absurd. And there are people on both sides of the political aisle that are denouncing this. This is a bad idea. And I, I will go as far as to say in my opinion it's an un-American idea. I don't, I don't like seeing people broke. I don't like seeing it. I will tell you that, you know, cops don't make a whole lot of money, especially in Southwest Florida. When my brother started out as a deputy, his wife was a deputy. They had student loan debt and they had to pay it. Then they started a family and it was tough. Making those student loan payments was difficult. And I don't even know how many decades it was over a decade before he was able to pay his loans off. And he only had a couple of years worth of loans because part of it was scholarship. He was an athletic scholar for a while. Um, so I understand it's not as if my family – I am certainly not a Silver Spoon family member. I understand how difficult it can be. But when you sign on the dotted line to take courses in college and it is a free-for-all for you because you want the college experience, I shouldn't have to pay for that. I'm not unique, and I had my first job very young. I'm younger than most people. I had my first job at 12, but I've worked my entire life, and I'm not always saying that's good. I should have spent more time being a kid, but I've worked all of my adult life. I have never been without a job unless it was me that took the time off. I've never been fired from a job. I've always worked. Um, I've always been a contributor. I don't have student loan debt. I have made financial mistakes that I paid for. 
And I think most people feel that way. I've made bad decisions. And if your bad decision was I took out student loans in a, in a career field that when I got done with college, I don't, I'm not making the money to pay my student loans. That's your mistake. I'm not saying I'm happy for you, and I'm not pointing my finger at you and laughing. I'm saying it's not my mistake. It's not other people's mistake. Other people should not be paying for your mistakes. But again, to the people out there that are getting the benefit, to the there are a lot of people out there that are going to benefit from this. How what are they going to do with that benefit? They're not getting a, a check for ten or twenty thousand dollars. So what happens? How does it improve the lives of the people around them? Um, and this to me is a big deal, especially to the families, the people that struggled. I'm not talking about wealthy families necessarily that you know, can afford to pay for college. But what about the people that worked their way through college and paid for it themselves? What about the people that went into the military and got the GI Bill and earned their college degree? What about them? This is, in my estimation, a political ploy that I think is going to backfire in the long run, and it's going to be immensely expensive for the American people. In a moment, we speak with uh, Jerry Brown from St. Mary's Food Bank. Huge need at St. Mary's Food Bank for volunteers. Now, we ask you about your money, talent, and time. We're going to need your talent and time on this one. We'll talk about it coming up in just a moment. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. And hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show. Our friends at St. Mary's Food Bank had just having conversations with them, and um, they have never had to fulfill needs like they have in the month of August. It's been the busiest month for them in their 55-year history. They are what I call the OG of food banks. They are the first food bank in the entire nation. They've never had a busier month than they're having right now. Their uh, director of media relations. Jerry Brown joins us. Jerry, am I right about that? Yeah, Mike, thank you. Thanks for having us on and keeping us in the conversation. Yeah, this time last year, uh, we just got our our numbers in for last week. We served about 3,800 people at our two main locations, those being in Phoenix and Surprise. Uh, Last week, we scraped about 6,000. Wow. So we're seeing, we're just seeing just incredible amounts of people. Uh, I'm I'm at our night center right now, the lines around the block, around the building. People are rolling around the block to get the opportunity to get in the building, to be in the, in the hundred cars that can get in line to get the food. And what's interesting about this is the need for people to pack pack those emergency food boxes, which we've done as a group. We've come down. It's been a great experience, but you are, you are actually sending them out faster than you can pack them in some cases, correct? Right, absolutely. Especially at this time of the year, we're seeing a lot of the college and high school kids that that spent the summer with us packing a lot of those boxes, getting those service hours that they need for school. They've gone back to school now. So uh, we there's no way that we can do what we do without these volunteers. When you're talking about packing in excess of 50,000 of these emergency food boxes that go out to clients, it's all done by volunteers, and we need as many hands as we can get. Uh, the website is St. Mary's Food Bank, but it's ST, so the abbreviation for Saint. St. Mary's Food Bank. Right. Volunteerhub. Com is where people can sign up. Correct. 
Absolutely. And we have uh, we have shifts that start at 9 a.m. and 1 p.m. Tuesday through Friday. And if you're somebody who works Monday through Friday, you can help out on Saturday. Those shifts begin at 8 a.m. and noon. They last about two hours. And you've been here before, Mike. We've loved having you. You know, we pump up the music, try to make it as much fun as possible. But they, the, the in one shift, you can build thousands of boxes. Yeah, and that's what I was so surprised at, the efficiency. I talk about the efficiency you have with money, how you squeeze every penny out of every dollar. But you squeeze every minute out of every hour with volunteers. When they show up, it is an assembly line setup. But you've got it down so so well that even people that have never done it before have come in like our group did. We packed well over a thousand boxes like in an hour and a half. Yeah, and it's great to have a sense of accomplishment that, hey, you know, we we, we went there, we put in two hours, but we actually put through, you can see the pallets of food boxes that you built as you walk out at the end of it, and it's pallet after pallet after pallet of food, and we need to go at that pace in order to, we have a, we have a warehouse that has about 7 million pounds, 8 million pounds of food, well, we're putting that out on a monthly basis, so it takes 30 days to put that a warehouse full of food out. Well, I'm going to be down there on Saturday morning with a group. This went out to our Action Alliance in an email blast and a tw- text blast. But if people want to come out, you can still sign up for the shifts on Saturday if spots are opened. St. Mary's Food Bank volunteerhub.com. But if you can't get it, if Saturday is full, you guys have appointments all week long where people can jump in and just be a big part of the solution to this issue. Right, and you can schedule out as far as you want. If you know you're going to have time in October or November, we can schedule you, like I said, 9 a.m., 1 p.m., 90 minutes to an hour. Uh, come on out. We, we need groups of three. We need groups of one. We need groups of five. And we need, if you have 50 to 100, we can accommodate you. Jerry, I, you know how much I appreciate the work you guys do there at St. Mary's, and it's a privilege to be a part of it on occasion for us to come down and work with you. And and uh, and what you do for the community is such a valuable resource, and I hope that people will come and do it because you're right. The sense of accomplishment is second to none to be able to see the work you do, but also know the people that it's going to impact. Mike, thanks so much, and thanks so much to you for keeping us top of mind. This has been a very difficult summer for us here at the Food Bank, and we appreciate all you're doing for us. All right, Jerry, I look forward to seeing you guys on Saturday. Take care. All right. That is the Media Relations Director for St. Mary's Food Bank. If you can sign up, I'll give the website one more time. It's very simple. stmarysfoodbank.volunteerhub.com. You can sign up for any shift this week that's still available. The week after, they are going to continue to need help there. We're jumping in on Saturday for a couple of shifts, and I don't know if they're full or they're not, but you can sign up to join us on Saturday or go on your own and grab a couple of people, grab a couple of friends. I promise you it's an experience you will never forget. Knowing that you are part of such a good cause and a solution, at least a temporary solution to people's hunger needs with those emergency food boxes. Uh, They do such great work at St. Mary's. And so uh, if you can help, please do. And I'd love to see you on Saturday. Uh, What we're going to do just after 10 o'clock, the Border Patrol chief says the border crisis is a result of no consequences policies. We've got some stories coming straight from our southern border. What is the solution? Oh, and remember those buses going to New York? There's more buses, but not from Texas lawmakers. We'll talk about that coming up next.